It has already been a great day. I love that song. I was looking at my wife, Lynn. Um, it brings back memories of some of the songs that we used to sing years ago in Tallahassee. So she looked like she was about to fly away. A few minutes ago, um, right before church started, I received this uh, instant message on um, Facebook from a guy by the name of Sam Cruz. You may not know him, but I know him. He was one of my kids who was in my cabin this past summer, and I'm excited to say that he was baptized this morning. Amen. He was like, hey, Derek, this is Sam Cruz, or should I say, this is your brother in Christ. So, you see, the, the impact that camp can have on our kids, because I also had another kid uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Tommy Smith, who's in my cabin for the past three summers, he too was baptized into Christ. So, we're making a difference for Jesus, amen? And it's always great um, to see young people make decisions for God. And it takes us really being involved to make a difference in their lives. And like this morning, um, Lynn, along with Nicole and um, Daisy, they met with the teen girls at our home and they had breakfast and they talked about what they wanted to do with their relationship with God. See, that's how we make a difference for Jesus. And that's how we make a difference in this world. Amen? And so I'm inspired about that. But this morning, I just want to spend some time reflecting on what the church is. We have books such as Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. These were letters written by the Apostle Paul to the various congregations um, in the first century. But these were not the only letters written to churches. I mean, should I say to Christians? But these were letters that are written specifically to churches. And it's great to be able to read these letters because you have an understanding of what was happening with the churches in the first century. What were our brothers and sisters experiencing as congregations in terms of some of the challenges to their faith and also just how God was able to use and make a difference in their lives. So I'm grateful to be able to read these letters to see what was happening, to be encouraged and to be inspired uh, from that standpoint. And so this morning, I want us to take a few minutes, uh, this afternoon, I should say. It's hard, that Friday slipped. I want us to take a few minutes to look at the church at Colossae. So we're going to be in the book of Colossians for the most part, but let me just give you a little backdrop to the church. It was primarily a Gentile church. Um, it was located about 100 miles from Ephesus in the valley of the river Lechus. It was about 12 miles down the road from Laodicea and Hierapolis. It was in a region that was known as uh, Pergamum and Lydia. It was in the area in which many Jews were transported from Babylon and Mesopotamia. So there was a, a Jewish influence and presence as well in the church. And as we read 
this letter this morning, and if we study this letter, you, be, you begin to see some of the challenges and customs that were evident that was being influenced within the church from a heretical standpoint, from the standpoint of challenging the supremacy of Christ as well as the uh, sufficiency of the cross to save versus being justified by our works and following the laws. So this is, why, this is one of the reasons why Paul felt the need um, to write the letter. Now, Paul, although he wrote this letter, he wasn't the one who founded the church. Um, in fact, it says in Colossians chapter 2, he, it says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those that lay out a share and for all who I have not met personally. See, Paul had never set foot in the church. And there are many of the Christians that he had not met personally. But yet and still, it was, the church was on his heart. He felt the need to reach out to make a difference in our church. And he had some influence on that because one of his fellow workers, Epaphras, you see in, uh, uh, not Ephesians, but Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, and Colossians 4, verse 12 and 13, his presence and some of the things that he taught the church. So there was an influence there. So as we begin to look at this letter, let's ask ourselves the question, what was the church like at Colossae? What was his reputation? And why did Paul feel a need to really write a letter to the church? So we're going to pick up in Colossians chapter 1. Begin the verse when it reads, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over the world. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit and every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with our power according to his glorious might, that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of, into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Amen? 
You know, this is a great letter here, and it's always encouraging what I like to do and read. And I, I love to look at the prayers of Paul to see the things that he prayed about. When he prayed for the different churches, you see in the letter uh, Ephesians and Philippians, and that we see here. But reading this prayer right here in this letter, the opening, one of the things that is evident about this church, Paul says to the holy and faithful church. You see, this was the church that was holy. And we understand what it means to be holy. It means to be set apart for Jesus. Amen? Amen. To be able to be used to be an instrument of righteousness. Now, this is not based upon what we can do for ourselves. This is solely based upon what Christ has done for us on the cross. But once we understand and we take hold of that holiness, there is something else that he mentions here. He says that this is a faithful church. See, he has some encouraging things to say about the church at Colossae. And it wasn't that he had firsthand experience. We see from the scripture that we just read that Epaphras gave Paul a report. He told Paul about the things that were happening that were very encouraging in that church. And I think we, too, from a standpoint that we love to hear good news, right? We also love to hear good report from someone saying, you know what? This person was talking about you. And they said, and it was something good. It's great having a good reputation, right? It's fun. It's, it's exciting. You know, it makes us feel a sense of pride in ourselves, in a good way, hopefully. And so Paul had a good report. He said, look, guys, I want you to know that these are things I heard about you, that you're a holy church, that you are a faithful church. You know, I've also heard good things about us as a region. You know, yeah, we have our challenges, okay? But I've heard good things about it. I want you to think about it. I don't know how much you really think about it, but for example, we are known to be a very generous region. Our generosity, especially when it comes to our weekly contributions and our special missions contributions. I cannot begin to think the last time, if ever there was a time, that we as a region did not step up and meet our mission's goal. Think about it. And you may say, oh, well, it's no big deal. But you know what? It's known. You know, those who have charge and responsibility to help us plant the gospel and to decide how we're going to raise our mission, they know the reputation of the loyal Westchester region when it comes to giving to God. Amen? You know, also, look right here in, in chapter 2, verse 5. This is something that Paul says, and I think it really parallels to us too as a region. In chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. And I'm going to just draw a little parallel with us right here. You know, this was the church right here. Yes, and I asked him a question. I was reading it. Who led this church here? Well, the Bible really doesn't say, and there is no indication that there was a dedicated minister. But from time to time, the pastor was there to instruct them. 
to encourage their faith, as we saw in um, chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 4, verse 12, and 13. But on the most part, this was a mature con- congregation that was solid in its faith. And they are orderly. And in the same way this past year, we, did, we haven't had the ideal situation in terms of having full-time staff. Okay. But think about the stability of this congregation here. And we are a congregation of 11 regions. Do you know that we're the only region that doesn't have full-time staff? And I don't say that from a bad standpoint, but what, I, what I'm trying to impress upon you is because of your stability and your maturity, we have stood into the, in the gap. And at some point, things will happen in a way that we all look forward to happen. But I just want you to know right now of your stability and your faith and that we're able to worship together. We're able to strive and make a difference in the lives of one another. And trust me, that's not a small thing. It is not a small thing. Because if we're unstable, this past year could not have worked. It could not have worked. And so these are things that when people look at our region, they, they look at that sense of maturity that we have. And this is something that Paul noted the church with here at Colossae. And I mentioned something in regards to the church's faithfulness. And what I wanted to do, to do today is to take a few minutes to look at the church's faithfulness. What it takes to be a faithful church for Christ. Amen? And uh, the first question I want us to consider is, what does it mean to be faithful? What is faithfulness? There is a Greek word, pistis. It means to win over, to persuade, to have firm persuasion, conviction, belief in the truth. And so when Paul described the church at Colossae as being faithful, it was saying that this church has been won over, that is fully persuaded, that it has deep roots, that it has firm convictions as to who Jesus is. And in essence, Paul was saying that they are fully committed to their relationship with Christ. And I'm going to just help you understand just how this is a big deal when Paul wrote this letter. Because as I mentioned before, it was in a region that had some Jewish influence. Okay? And with that Jewish influence came some of the customs and the teachings of Judaism. Parallel this right here with the Church of Galatians. Think about how Paul started that letter off and what was going on. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. You see, this is about the only letter that Paul did not start with a sense of gratitude and and just a warmth, just that that great feeling about where the church was. He didn't talk about how thankful he was for them. In verse 6 he says, I'm astonished. I'm shocked. I can't believe it. 
that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. You see, Galatia was a church that had lost its way, that had lost sight of what it means to be saved through the blood of Christ, that what it meant to, to rely upon Jesus as their sense of satisfaction to have a relationship with God. They were trying to once again earn their relationship with God. They had lost their sense of faithfulness. And so Paul wanted to get ahead of this right here with the church of Galatia. He wanted to get in there. Now the church was strong. The church was doing well. But there are some things that he heard that really concerned him. And that he wanted to make certain that they did not lose their way as well. You see, the church must be the faithful bride of Christ. You know, faithfulness is a good thing. Amen? Think about having a relationship with somebody who's not faithful to you. Think about being in a relationship with someone who is not fully persuaded that you are the one. And that you're just just not really certain. Like, man, I'm not certain how this thing is going here. I'm getting all the wrong signals. You see, we don't have a problem with faithfulness when we understand that it's about a relationship. I think what Satan tries to do, he tries to reduce the church to an institution. That we look at it as merely an organization. And so when we hear the word faithfulness and being wholehearted, we can feel a little threatened like, man, I just don't know. But... If someone told you, you know what, I need a little space in this relationship right here. Yeah, we're going to be together, but you know what? Don't count on me all the time. When your hair, the jealousy just begin to rise. And the person, well, I don't understand. You're jealous. What's wrong with you? We'll look at that person like they're crazy. What do you mean I'm jealous? You're right, I'm jealous. Because that's not the standard of a relationship. You see, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, what did God say? He said, look, I am a jealous God. If it's about a relationship with someone, you understand jealousy. You have no problems understanding it. And you expect, look, if I'm going to be all in, you're going to be all in. It's all or nothing. We don't believe, and this is not Hollywood, we're not talking about open relationships. You know, we're not talking about it. And so God expects all of our hearts. He expects us to give him everything. Are we faithful to God? Do we tell God, you know, I need a little space. Are you expecting too much from me? When we say things like that, the church is an institution. It's a place where we go on a Sunday, sing some songs. 
But if we understand that we're talking about a relationship with God, that we're talking about that if we're God's bride as a church, He expects everything. You know, when I got married, um, <laughs> it'll be 28 years come December. Okay. You know, you know, it's hard for a relationship to move forward when people are not fully persuaded. I'm going to tell you a story here. Um, Lynn and I started dating, I think, June 1st, 1984. Okay. But sometime within that first year of dating, you know when you're dating, you know, you can get all the right signals? Or when you're dating, you can get all the wrong signals? And you start wondering, hmm, what does she mean by that? I'm not certain. And so it makes you feel a little uneasy. And I can remember, you know, we're going on dates and we're going to do certain things. But then we end up getting these deep talks. I'm like, man, what is going on here? But I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm glad I had that talk because I think I really convinced her. <laughs> but date after date after date. <laughs> uh, and so I really, and so we're at um, Florida State one day, and and so then I said, you know what? I'm not certain if I love you, and she was crying and saying, you know what, I think we need to put the relationship on the whole. (laughs) You see, at that point in the relationship, she wasn't fully persuaded. Okay. She wasn't convinced that this great, handsome man <laughs> is my knight in shining armor. So, and so we put the relationship in a band. A band means like a temporary suspension, like when there's a rain delay in a baseball game. Because she had to do some soul searching. She had to realize the great opportunity that God put before her. <laughs> You know, hey, even the product of sun had to come to his senses, right? But, you know, and so the relationship, she had to figure out, okay, how do I really feel? And so we went through those 110 days. That shows how much it impacted me that I had those days counted. Check, check, check. <laughs> so when it came to the point of getting back together, at that point, I had to be fully persuaded that she was fully persuaded. That I felt like I can't go through this again. So you have to make certain that I'm the one here. Mm-hmm. It's just like when a running back fumbles the ball, and the coach wants to call and play again, if he's going to tiptoe through the hole worry about getting hit, no, you can't run the ball. we got to put somebody else in here, okay? Because you got to hit that hole and go. So in order for us to move forward, 
I had to be fully persuaded that she was convinced and we're only being this wishy-washy stuff going back and forth. Right, Lynn? Amen? Okay. So I, I think in the same way, with our relationship with God, we have to be fully converted, fully convinced, and fully committed to the relationship. We cannot hold back. We cannot try to save ourselves in this relationship. See, the thing that gives us the encouragement to be fully persuaded is because God is all in. Jesus' death on the cross says, hey, I'm giving everything for you. I'm holding nothing back. I'm fully invested in you. You see, I want you to understand personally that God is fully persuaded about you. Now, you know all your dark secrets. You know who you are in your quiet moments. You know your sin. But you know what? God knows it too. And he says, look, I know your righteousness is like filthy rags. But I want my son Jesus to die for you. It wasn't because we were a bright, shiny, new penny. We were crusty in our sins. But God said, look, I'm going to commit myself to you. I'm fully persuaded. And when we understand that, understand that, and when we appreciate that, it should move our hearts to give everything. Because what God gave wasn't easy. You know, when, when, um, when Kevin read Psalm 22 about Jesus on the cross and how he was approaching the cross and his suffering and agony and felt deserted by God. Imagine how God must have felt when his son was saying those things that, that why, oh, why have you deserted me? You know, when our kids cry out, if they're hurting, we hurt. When Jesus cried out, when he was hurting, God was hurting. He felt his pain. He felt his agony. But he allowed him to go through it because he was fully persuaded that he loved you, that he was going to give everything for you. And so we understand that and we see that that should compel us and move us to give all that we can to God. Amen? So, as I mentioned, Paul wanted to get ahead of this heresy that was beginning to surface and to rise up in the church of Colossians. And so he struggled for it. And on Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, it says, We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggle with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have a full riches, a complete understanding in order that they, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge 
I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine signing the arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit. And delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then just as you receive Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthening the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, Paul wanted to make certain that the church remained on course. And so what did he do? He got involved. His faithfulness to God, his faithfulness to the church, compelled him when he heard the report not to sit back, but to send a message, to send a letter, to get involved, to strengthen the church, to make certain that they remain true to Jesus, that they continued to live in him. You see, it's one thing to start in Christ, but we have to continue in Christ. It's one thing to start a relationship, but you have to continue in our relationship. You see it through the end. You don't give up on it. Now, there are difficulties. There are challenges in any relationship. Think about your relationships here. Think about you may have felt challenged. There may have been things that have discouraged you about the ministry that you haven't felt great about. But what do we do? What do we do? Do we give up on it? If it's a relationship, no. If it's an institution, yes. You can give them the only institution. But we're talking about souls. We're talking about hearts. We're talking about making a difference in the lives of one another. And so Paul, he stepped forward. He struggled for them. Are we struggling for one another? Whose lives are we involved in? Who are we helping to be faithful? To hold on, to make a difference in their lives. You see, we just cannot sit by. We cannot sit by. You know, just as the church's Colossae has its strength, it also has weaknesses too, right? And I think as a congregation, we too have strengths. There are things that enable us to encourage and to inspire and to make a difference in the lives of one another. But we do have our shortcomings and our challenges too. But we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest and look closely. Okay, where are we as a church? You know, if, if God were to inspire Paul through the Holy Spirit or whatever to write a letter to the church at Lower uh, Westchester, what would that letter say? You ever thought about that? Think about it. If God sent a letter to me about my life, what would he be saying to Derek Clay? What would he be saying to you? I think one of the things that I want us to consider as a church in regards to our faithfulness is just really being faithful in attendance. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10.
You see, the goal is to preserve our faith. The goal is to preserve our faithfulness to Christ. And let's start in verse 23. He says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he is promised, for he who, excuse me, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, he says, let us not give up meeting together. There's something I can say that I've seen lately is that our standard of commitment becomes a midweek. I just really don't know where it has gone. And to me, it's frightening. It's scary in a sense. And I'm not talking about the exception. I'm talking about we're making it a rule for ourselves. It's like there's no sense of I'm going to be there. Like I'm, I'm fully committed to being with the body. I think it has become so easy for us to just say, well, mm, I don't think I'll be there. And so, in a sense, we don't know what we can expect from one another. It's like, it's, it's an opportunity for encouragement to be together. Because it's about spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Don't we want to see everyone make it? You know, I'm not saying that it's, 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 it's a judgment, it's a condemnation. But I, I'm really concerned about it. And I think it's something that we as a body really need to think about. You know, what standard are we beginning to accept from one another? What are we beginning to accept for ourselves in this regard here? And the thing I really think about this right here is, because I, I couldn't imagine Paul being here and like, man, is anyone seeing what's going on and concerned about it? I don't hear anybody really saying, well, you know what? Let me check on this brother right here. Let me look and see what's going on with this sister. They may have need. I don't know. They may be discouraged. Say you may be taking the best of them. And they may be down feel like, you know what? I'm just overwhelmed. But we got to get in there with one another. We have to show concern. You know, we cannot sit behind. It says, let, and here's the thing right here. This is, it shouldn't come from the pulpit or whoever the quote-unquote leaders are. We are a family. We're talking relationship here. Is that you know who your brothers and sisters are? You know when you sin and you don't sin? You say, does it concern you? Does it alarm you? Are you going to step forward and say, you know what? Hey, let me see what's going on here. Or is it, well, you know what? I know my Bible talk leader take care of it, if he or she does. You see, relationship. It says, let us, not let the leaders or the supposed leaders or whatever, 
let, let's just take that concern for another. Let's, let's, let, let's, let's get involved there. Let, let's, let's show that we're concerned for one another. And I believe if we can do these things right here, we can lift one another up. We can be a source of refreshment and encouragement to inspire one another. It's challenging to live this life as a disciple or not as a disciple. So we need one another. We have to be convinced about relationships and that we need one another. Do you believe in need one another? That you need the body? Are you convinced that the body needs you? If we have that conviction and understanding, it moves us. See, Paul felt that, look, the church of the Colossians needs me. I need to step forward. I need to say something. I need to get involved. And so we need to be the same thing for one another. That we need to spur one another on by taking the initiative. You know, because we have to understand that it's a clear and present danger. You know, um, I, lately I, I started watching all these on um, Hulu TV, watching these Alaskan-type shows like Life Below Zero, Yukon Man. And so these people are in the backwoods. They're all just off the grid in a sense. And there was this one situation where they, these wild black bears were near, you know, they came into town. And the guy came by and said, look, there's a black bear. And the mom was out playing with her, her, her little child. Guess what she She grabbed that child. She ran into the cabin, put the child in, came back out with her shotgun. And she ran into the woods looking for that bear. She brought and she, she, she killed the bear. Because she understood that that bear was a threat to her child. When we understand that sin is a threat, to our brothers and sisters. We're going to go after him. And we're going to go after them to secure their safety. We've got to have that same mentality and that same heart because the goal is for us, all, for us all to continue in him. The goal is for all of us to be rooted and built up in Christ. The goal is for all of us to be strengthened in our faith. And the goal is for all of us to overflow with thankfulness. Amen?